Welcome to the 70th episode of Delika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And I can walk again! <laughs> yeah, Sweden is no longer a cripple. Uh, ish. I still am using a heat pack, but I'm fine. <laughs> where well, you're being crippled, I am in my best shape of my life where I'm like lifting weights for a time. Yeah, you, you'll be in the best shape for both of us, thank you. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So this week, we're discussing the Indonesian political election confusion. And also the riots that happened afterwards. You know, we it's been a week. A lot of things have happened. We're going to break it down a little bit, recap, and give our thoughts about it because, you know, this is not... Previously in Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. There, it harkens back to not great memories. And I think yeah. it's important for us to talk about it. And not just brush all of this aside and say, oh, it's just another case of demonstrations in Indo. Which I understand if people are riot fatigued or protest fatigued. Um, but this is kind of a little bit different. So here's to it. I'm sure all of you guys are aware of the riots that happened in Jakarta and all of the various election scandals and um, this current situation where we have an official Jokowi having been re-elected for a second term. But uh, Prabowo Sandi and his camp are saying that, in Prabowo's word, that there is a rape against our democracy. Classic. <laughs> uh I saw his news conference. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, last week, deep into the night for some reason, uh, on May 21st, on Tuesday. Because it's more dramatic, Sue. Oh, clearly. Uh, the General Elections Commission announced the final count of the presidential election vote. Unsurprisingly, Jokowi won by 55.5%, with a final count of over 85 million votes, while Prabowo had only 44.5%, with a final count of over 68 million votes. That's a difference of double digits in terms of percentage points, and you know... 17 million yeah, yeah. votes? So, I mean, Indonesia, what, you win by popular vote. I know, it's a, it's a thing, America. <laughs> you don't count weird districts and stuff. No, you just count the people's vote. <laughs> Which I think is a better system. Clearly, and... Obviously, this is unsurprising. We all knew from like even quick counts and exit polls that Jokowi was probably going to win. So this is unsurprising for anyone. And obviously, over the last few weeks, Prabowo and his camp has always sort of like prepared themselves for this outcome, right? They were saying like, the election was robbed. Uh, we need to rise up people power. Uh, whenever the elections commission announced the results, you know, we need to protest whatever the results is. Yeah. And so it happened. Tens of thousands of Indonesian riot police closed ranks in Jakarta, tightening security and blocking the route of protesters. Hours earlier in the streets of the capital, rioters threw rocks and Molotov cocktails, and security forces responded with rubber bullets and tear gas. The violent and fatal clashes came after Indonesia's Elections Commission announced a day earlier than expected that President Joko Widodo had won a second term with 55.5% of the vote. A tally his opponent, former General Prabowo Subianto, contests. 
His supporters say there's been massive election fraud. I think we've both been trying to be fair about the situation. Like we've acknowledged that there were definitely some sketchy things in the election that were going on. Yeah. Um, and I understand that, you know, people feel like their democracy was robbed, but it also seems very suspicious, like the timing and the way cars were burned and like an identified organized group of mobs came and a lot of these people are not from Jakarta and, um, it's definitely like engineered riots again, which is what happened in May, uh, 98. So like, while I understand that um, one camp is upset and feel it's unfair. Um, even if it is, like I don't agree with the way the things turn violent and um, the way things are organized. Also, because like I had a nightmare about the situation. Like I had a May ninety eight repeat nightmare, and it's like I don't know. It's it's just um, difficult to see. Even though it's like I mean limited, it's just like too close to like memories when i was like seven exactly to for me to be like uh you know yeah i i agree with you know i've i've read reports where they're saying like this is a logistical nightmare to count all these votes manually and there's obviously using excel and yeah it's almost like it almost feels a little bit like it's um the consequences of doing such a big uh vote at this scale on one day you know uh, manually and it's, it's the logistical issues rather than necessarily any wrongdoing or any political intent from any party yeah uh i mean i'm sure that's not a satisfying answer for anybody certainly not for Prabowo's camp but i i think you know there's there's a way i feel like we can reconcile the dissatisfaction that the Prabowo camp and their supporters have felt along with sort of like you've got to face the realities of an election, right? Like, this is an imperfect tool, to be honest. Democracy is an imperfect tool, and there's going to be discrepancies and faults, but you can't just, like, make yourself the victim of everything because then how can we establish trust in in the institution and establish sort of, like, a certain sense of camaraderie and belief in the whole system? Uh That's just, like, a slippery slope where we're always just, like, if it's not our candidate who won, then we can never trust the system. I mean... I totally, I just want to make it clear to our listeners that I totally, you know, our listeners, some of which could be Prabowo supporters, right? Like, totally valid. Yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from. I think there's a sizable and legitimate group of Prabowo supporters who may have felt the election wasn't fair, may have felt that their candidate didn't have equal footing with Jokowi, and I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally acknowledge your concerns, certainly your concerns about the current administration, um, and hoping that Prabowo and Sandy can be a better candidate and better leadership. Right. Um, I just want to say, you know, I totally acknowledge that. I totally hear you. I do think when those criticisms become violent mm-hmm. and you start to become emotional about your reaction to the results instead of trying to be tactical and rational and responsible about it, that's when things get dangerous. That's when I can't support you or sympathize with you you know Uh, but everything else democracy is all about voicing your concerns and having the opportunity to change leadership when you think it's appropriate and i and i get it and i want to support that oh yeah yeah that was exactly kind of the situation bubble faced five years ago yeah like Uh, do you remember what it was like in 2014 when he decided to appeal um, the results of that election 
Like, what was the conversation then? Because I don't remember much about that conversation. No, I, I feel like that conversation was a lot more under the radar than it is this time, mm. is my sense. Um, but the Constitutional Court has never upturned an election result. Yeah. And and whatever the Constitutional Court decides, it's final. Like, you can't... Yeah, it's binding. And You know, this year's election, like, the difference between Prabowo and Jokowi this year is much bigger than it was in 2014. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this year is like 11 percentage points, roughly, like 10, 11 percentage points. Um, in 2014, I think it was six or seven. Mm-hmm. And honestly, a difference of like, what, 17 million votes? That's, it's, it's kind of hard to prove that that was all like systematic discrepancy. Yeah. <laughs> that's not an insignificant number. So I, you know, I don't think anybody has high hopes for the, for the appeal. But at the same time, it's also well within his right to appeal and to go through the system. I'm all for that. Like, if you want to go through the court system and appeal the results, I'm I'm all for that because I believe in the institutions. Yeah. But let us be sure that, like, whatever the court says and you know, whatever the evidence has been put out and we've investigated everything, we should respect the results um, yeah. for the sake of our country. Aside from just the riots themselves, I think for us, what might have harkened back to the dark days of 98 is also like, in my opinion, the government's response to it. Right. And one of the responses that is sort of like updated to 2019 is that um, the government slowed down WhatsApp, Facebook, and Instagram in order to, in their words, to um, prevent the spread of fake news and hoaxes and misinformation during these tense times. So they took the drastic measure to literally like make it hard for you to upload videos and photos on these platforms unless you are uh, clever Indonesians and use VPN. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I use VPN when I'm in Indo. Yeah, I mean, like, of course, I was like, well, you can try over like, you know, mobile data, but once you get on Wi-Fi, you're fine. But, you know, it, it is a drastic measure like yeah. to think that a, a country of any size but in particular the country of the size of indonesia decided to take that measure was an interesting development because i i I heard it only after my family members were like you might not be able to reach us easily because of this and i was like what (laughs) you know i didn't hear it from the news i heard it from people i know back home who were like because i was checking in on them and i didn't hear back from them in like regular intervals yeah that was kind of Oh, that was kind of terrifying, you know, to be honest. That's certainly anxiety driving, you know, you can't reach, especially like WhatsApp, right? Like you, you use it to sort of like check in with people and you can't reach them. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting, right? Because like different pockets of Jakarta was more tense because obviously the Bawaslu office is in central Jakarta. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, all the, a lot of major clashes and riots was happening in that area where it's like, it's a, it's a hub in terms of like infrastructure and roads and stuff like that. Yeah. But luckily, you know, it, it never grew as big as like in 98 where clashes literally moved to all the neighborhoods and it got heated everywhere, right? Like this is mostly contained, which is mm-hmm. a good thing. And I think, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, right? Like did 
that the slowdown of social media helped that effort? Maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Like, maybe it just, like, prevented people from seeing it and then coming and bandwagoning along and stuff. Yeah. But I'm not sure. Like, they they didn't mean any eight without social media. So, uh, I don't know if, like, maybe it's just not the intent of the riots to make it bigger. I think it was maybe it was just a sign, you know? Like, I don't think mm-hmm. it was intended to be bigger than that. Because they would have found a way to go around it. I will say this, right? Like, I'm I'm obviously not for censorship. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm also a, a political pragmatist. I think you should consider the most effective options in an imperfect situation. And so I, I can sympathize and I can somewhat be on board with the government slowing down these platforms, knowing how dangerous they are in terms of like they can get they can be taken advantage of and you know facebook and all these other companies are not going to slow it down you know on their own right so Mm -hmm. i i can't you know in a way i i disagree in principle that anything should be censored or or deliberately slowed down but i can For this particular instance, I can be on board with it. At the same time, I also acknowledge, like, now that they've done it, can they do it all the time? That is dangerous. Right. So I'm conflicted. (laughs) That's kind of, like, what I'm kind of feeling in the sense of, like, um, I understand the pragmatic side of the situation, and I sympathize with that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, it just makes me uncomfortable to have social media and things block like i understand slowing down whatsapp and stuff um like that i kind of agree with but it's not blocked right you can still communicate it by a text but i feel differently about blocking facebook and because um let's be clear here though like nothing was particularly blocked everything was slowed down but yeah it could easily have gone to blocking the block situation yeah yeah, like I don't. I think if I think slowing down is one thing, but blocking is. I I wouldn't be fine even for pragmatic situations blocking it just because it sets a really bad precedent, and I feel like the situation is kind of a slippery mm-hmm. slide into cracking down our basic freedoms and speeches and stuff. And yeah. to me, it like recalls of like the way authoritarian governments, like in Egypt and other places in the Middle East or in the Middle East, Spring just decided to shut down social media, and. um that's just not a good call and look, and it's just a backward slide, and I don't like it. But slowing down is potentially useful. <laughs> I hope this will be a case where, like, it shows the the companies, like you know, Facebook, that they they need to take this problem seriously if they want to have their own control over their platforms, right? Because I mean, <laughs> on, from a business perspective, they can't be happy that their platforms was taken over by the government, right? <laughs> no, like, come on. If you're going to try to, like, protect yourself, then you'd rather you yourself do it rather than the government coming in and, you know, taking over. So I'm all for these platforms also becoming more responsible in terms of how fake news and misinformation happens, right? Nobody wants that. No. So, but I'm I'm off my high horse about technology companies being evil. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, Dialogica itself has been affected by uh, Facebook and everyone trying to trying to take us down. Um, <laughs> not that, not that dramatic, but you know. <laughs> no, I think there's a okay. So the issue is that we can't pay for Facebook ads without an Indonesian credit card. So like, 
me and Sweden currently both only have U.S. credit cards. I have an Indonesian card, but yeah. it doesn't work either. So I feel like they're trying to like stop pages from being able to like pay Facebook to spread um, news type content or like politically inclined one way or the other. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's what's happening to us. If you haven't seen our ads recently or promotions recently, it's because we can't. It's not because we suddenly decided not to. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to figure things out. Uh, but you know, listeners keep supporting us. Keep telling all your friends about us because somebody has to tell the, the way that people used to. Word of mouth. Best way. Um, um anyway, <laughs> <laughs> small business probs. It's a little bit weird, right? Like, all of these things have happened just over the course of a week. On a significant week, you know, for anybody of our generation. Uh, I'm glad things have, from what I've heard, kind of resumed back to normal-ish. But it is just, in my opinion, it's a friendly, not-so-friendly reminder of how fragile our democracy can be. Very fragile. And that it takes an effort from all of us, regardless of, like, where which side of the camp you're on. Um, and who you're supporting, it, it it takes the effort of all of us to maintain it and make sure it doesn't devolve into what we've seen. 21 years ago. 21 years ago, yes. Also, shout out to all the reporters working in Indonesia right now. It's a rough time. It's a rough job. Yeah. Um, I know our previous uh, guest, Febri, tweeted about that she was reporting on the riots and people found out that she was a journalist and then the mob turned violent or not violent but like very it was a very tense situation for her and for her safety so Mm -hmm. um i feel like no matter what the protesters feel like journalists are like neutral and should be protected and shouldn't you know like i think part of it is just like even for us, like, I'm a journalist and, like, I'm not there. And trying to discern what is real and what is fake news is so hard. Yeah, even if you're... Honestly. Even if you're... Ex- a trade-educated mm-hmm. uh, person. And um, and I already know kind of, like, who the pe- reporters are and, like, who I can figure out to trust and stuff. It's, it's just, like, God, like, it's so easy to be swayed by fake news right at this point. And mm-hmm. I don't, like, blame the people if they are confused about the politi- like the news news situation because the way the Indonesian news it is a fair critique that a lot of the people who hold the news media are leaning one way or the other. Yeah. And that kind of reflects on the um reporting for sure. So um it's easy to distrust the media in some sense, but there are definitely still some journalists and people who are definitely honest and, and trying to do the right thing. So mm-hmm. you know. Shout out to Febri and like people like Matanachua, who's stuff that I still trust. Um, and also shout out to all the activists and you know uh, lawyers who are making sure that whatever's happening in these riots are accounted for. You know, mm-hmm. there's obviously I've heard some reports about potential human rights violations, but yeah. shout out for them to making sure like you know not only upholding the principle of protest and uh, you know a demonstration. Because it is an important part of democracy, being able to voice your concerns, but yeah. also making sure that when things get violent and when things are become illegal and unconstitutional, that it's being accounted for. So these are also people, you know, journalists, activists, lawyers, they're also on the front lines of, of making sure our democracy and society doesn't break apart. And <laughs> Yeah. 
Shout to them. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us on these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!